This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 783, brought to you by Macroverse, Next Generation Comics, and Webtoon. Download the app at www.macroverse.com. And iFanboy listeners just like you who are washing their hands and wearing their masks. Welcome to iFan Warrior Pick of the Week, number 783. <laughs> I'm Josh Flanagan, and I'm here with my co-host, Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, Josh. Hey. Hey. I'm speaking to you in my best broadcast voice. <laughs> we are iFanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks the one they like the best, and we call that Bill McNeil's Pick of the Week. <laughs> we talk about that book. We talk about other books. We will talk about the patron pick. We will answer some listener mail if we have time. We have fun. We are bad with time. We're going to go over, and I think that we should endeavor to not mention that we're going over. We have overstuffed the script, and therefore we'll be going long. Here is your spoiler warning. Exercise your caution. There will be plot points discussed. Connor has the pick. Also, sometimes mentioning that we're going long is a running joke, and not to be taken seriously. We are not so worried about it. (laughs) I had the pick. And it was a tough one, actually. I read my books. I didn't have a ton of books. I was done early Wednesday because, you know, I read half of them on Tuesday. I had to sit on it for a while because I had a bunch of books I really enjoyed and I could have made the pick of the week. Look, the ideal scenario is you finish your books and you're like, damn, there's a lot of great books and that one was the best. That's your ideal scenario if you're in our situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens. Yeah, it happens a lot. And the second ideal scenario is, or the, not that's not true. There's no such thing as two ideals. The second best scenario is, I had a lot of great books, and I don't know what to choose, which is the exact opposite of all these books were shit. <laughs> I don't know what to do. That, that is the, all these books were shit is less likely than all these books or are or fine. Fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be fair, in my world, in my view, fine slash mediocre is worse than bad. Yeah. It's just, what was that for? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So I ended up going with Firepower number 12 from Robert Kirkman, Chris Somney, Matt Wilson, and Russ Wooten. And this is the 12th issue spectacular. <laughs> I love Robert Kirkman. Oversized 12th issue spectacular, uh, as it says in the cover. And it's the culmination of the first sort of year of Firepower, which, as you may recall, started off with a prequel trade. So this actually would have been the third, the end of the third trade. Or it will be, I guess. I really liked it. I've been enjoying this book the entire time I've been reading it. I know... Josh, the first issue was the patron pick. You read that. Didn't love it. Yeah. I'd read the prequel book, and then I read the first issue, or like the first couple came out together, or something like that, because Kirkman's a crazy Mm -hmm. person. And I I liked it. I've been following the whole time. You know, this is really the only way to get any Chris Somney art. He's been locked into this, I assume, lucrative deal for a while. As the culmination of this particular arc right now, this was really fun. It was action-packed. There was a lot of nifty little storytelling things that Kirkman did here, and... It's been fun to watch him since the beginning, you know, with Battle Pope to now, how he's grown as a storyteller and as a media mogul as well. It doesn't hurt that he's got Chris Somney, who is one of the best nuts and bolts, and I don't mean that in a bad way, storytellers in the business. He can tell the story perfectly on the page. And so you get a guy who is... Like an imminent type. Yeah. There's no one better than him at just purely storytelling, as opposed to, you know, putting the fact that he's a great artist as well, but... Uh, this was just really well constructed. It had a lot of great moments that we've been leading up to in these 12 issues, and it leads to a lot of questions in the future, and that's kind of what you want at the end of a major arc like this. I mean, clearly this is a 12-issue arc that we've gone on here, and it's hard to go into everything without just recapping the last 12 issues, because I know a lot of people aren't reading this, including Josh, but it's a sort of a take on Iron Fist in a way. There's a kung fu school in the in the mountains that is there it protects a dragon, which is very similar to Kunlun. And there was a schism in this society at some point it, as we were reading the book, and it broke into two factions. One wanted to release the dragon, one wanted to, pr- to protect the dragon. There's been a big fight over that. And our protagonist, our hero, whose name is Owen, 
he's sort of your Iron Fist figure in reverse. He trained there and then left and had a normal life, you know, in America. He's got a wife, she's a cop, they've got two kids. They're mixed race, she's white, he's Asian. And he gets pulled back into this war, and that's what's been happening here. And the, the big fight between the two factions has been happening over the last couple of issues. And here we find out that maybe some of the beliefs that these people have been holding have been incorrect. And what I like about this particular issue is, through some, as I said, some nifty storytelling, we find out more about this world than the characters do. Some things are revealed to us through lingering cameras and things that they don't know about, which is, leads to some you know, sort of tension and surprise for the characters and but the readers who you know, get to wait for that moment to happen. Lingering cameras is the best band name I've heard in forever. <laughs> so, for instance, as I said, they've been protecting this dragon. It's been behind these giant doors, and their whole thing is, is guarding the doors so no one lets the dragon out, uh, except for these, the, the, the faction that broke off that wants to let the dragon out. So in the midst of this fight, the main guy busts through the doors. There's no dragon behind the doors, but there's some water, so he jumps in the water, and our hero and his uh, sensei follow him into the water, and they swim to this sort of underground sandy beach. And the guy's sitting, the, the, the other guy's sitting there on his knees sad because there's no dragon and his whole belief system is a lie. And so they have a quick scuffle and then the, our heroes, you know, subdue him and they drag him off back to the water. And, you know, he's being dragged. So there's like these two, you know, drag marks going through the sand and they go back into the water, but we stay on the sandy beach and we look down and see that under the sand are scales. So there is a dragon that's hidden under the sand. So it's just like my kids who didn't look hard enough. Right. So it's there, but now they all believe it's not there. So what is that going to mean? What? The other thing is there's a giant statue of their sort of founder of the, of this clan or whatever it is. And the, the whole myth was at the time of its greatest peril, he would return kind of like Gandalf. And during the fight, you know, they keep beseeching him to return and he won't, he doesn't, he never shows up during this fight, but there's a little bit of mystical hint at the very end of this issue that he may be actually there. There's just a lot of fun things where we see things that they don't see, and so now we're going to be waiting for that, including a whole, there's a whole love triangle here where we see something that happens with one of the characters that the main character doesn't. So there's just a lot of fun reveals, great fight storytelling. It's been a very satisfying wrap-up in these 12 issues if you've been reading this the whole time. And as we move forward to the future now, I don't even know what the story is going to be because we've been this whole time leading towards this confrontation between the two factions, which has happened now, other than there's some people who are made of snakes people what, what made of snakes never trust a person what's made of snakes you know what's interesting is that there's a significant part of my mind that still thinks of kirkman as an upstart like as a, and, and i know like <laughs> which he's is the, so i know he's the exact but he still is a person who like he did it on his own yeah in his own rules he did it his own way yeah and so i still picture like I guess they're going to believe it, you know, and he keeps yeah. going. Right. And I, I, there's, and I don't, I don't think that he's that person anymore. There's no way that you can have that kind of success and not sort of be changed by it. And, and obviously he's a very strategic thinker, uh, in ways that, that have a lot to do with his, his success. You're not wrong though, because for all of his success, he still thinks outside the box. Yes. You know, he releases yes. books without telling people he's made them. He releases this series with a prequel trade and like, and the first issue all in the same week. Like he does things. Was it Die 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 that came out and no one even knew that book existed? It just right. it just showed up at comic stores. Comic stores didn't even order it. Oh, and he ended he ended Walking Dead without without any fanfare. Like it, he does. He, mean, he's not afraid to break the traditional rules in a good way. Not you yes, know. and also he's still very aware of. I mean, if you're in his position, most people, most people would not still be making comic books. Oh no, he's he's making millions and millions of dollars making TV shows, right? And and, and he's probably not doing too bad on comics. Oh no, he's not. But he's still doing them, and he doesn't need to. And so the the point I guess I'm making is that you know forever he tried to keep any any real information out of previews for his books. You know, mm -hmm. like his Walking Dead synopses were just you know there's nothing to them. Right. Like the Mad Men next week ones. Those are the best. <laughs> But, like, there's a real love and respect of the form still. Oh, sure. The fact that he's like, I'm going to get Chris Somney on this book. You don't get Chris Somney on a book for any reason other than you want to make a good comic book. It's, you know, like, a movie pitch, per se, doesn't need Chris Somney. No. You know what, you know what I'm getting at? Like, he, he wants to make no, he, comics. He loves making comics, still, clearly. Mm -hmm. he's, still, he, he's, he's, got, he's got 
at least two books out right three he's got three books out right now he doesn't need to be writing and it makes three you comics wanna, makes you want to root for him still yeah. despite being like the most successful person comics has produced since Todd McFarlane for some which reason which isn't a bad thing no it isn't but you know punk rock this is a really fun book I think Josh you would actually like it but I understand why you're not reading it there's a lot about his family and the tension are there because his wife is a cop and she's like what the hell is this life you brought me into my wife's a little like that but not as a in, cop in the opposite <laughs> way and then his kids are like you know what is this scary situation on the, on the other hand they're getting to learn kung fu and that's fun because they're young and they think that's you know all adventure is fun so it's a family book plus this sort of lineage of this clan and how Owen is involved with it and his ex-girlfriend is there. She, he thought she was dead and now she's alive. There's a lot of classic things happening here. It's a ton of fun. The only downside is not even the book is that I've often found that I personally love Kirkman's work in, in trade form. And so I would often lose the thread month to month between mm-hmm. the exact you know machinations in the clan. So I, I often find that. I, I I follow his storylines better in chunks, but mm-hmm. that's a me thing, not the book thing. Firepower 12, if you're at all interested in this kind of thing, it's been a great series and you can go pick it up. I recommend getting the prequel trade, not because you necessarily need it, but because it gives you a lot of backstory. I've enjoyed every issue. Whenever it comes out, I'm always excited to it. I'm not just because of the story, but also because I I miss seeing Chris Somney uh, sure. on a weekly basis. Because he disappeared for a while, we wonder where he was, and he was off doing this book. I'm doing a little insert here because it's not there, but it's interesting that this end that ends on the same week as that Larry Hama Iron Fist uh, series, which oh, yes. I didn't really. It's not on the list. I didn't really have anything to say about it, but it was super fun. It was super fun, and it was very similar. Uh, yeah, clan warfare over yep. dragons. I, like, I, yep. think, I think I read them back to back for that reason. I was like, All right, I guess <laughs> I'll just do this one too. Now, was Black Cat number seven on your list of possibilities? Yes, it was. Yeah, I've been reading this book. I don't know why. I don't know when I started. It's great. It's very good. And I was like... It's really good. I was like, it could be Black Cat. <laughs> this is the, also the end of the arc, The Gilded City. Mm-hmm. Terrific art by Mike Dowling. Yes. I guess I call he him did Mike. The, the horror book about the family. Do the Dollhouse family. Is that right? Maybe not. I want to hear you talk about it because I don't think you ever know you were reading this book. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It was one of those weeks I just picked it up and it, it was the beginning of this. And it started... It's funny because... The first image I remember is the black hat and the fox. Mm-hmm. Is it silver fox? The black fox. Black fox. Okay. Well, think, no, that would make sense. Well, hold on. You talk. I don't about think it was the black fox. Anyway, so they're sitting on a bench and having this sort of odd conversation. The only he's, thing just, he's, really just the he's just the fox. He's just the fox. No, the black fox. It's the black fox. Okay. The only thing that really comes out of it is like they care deeply for each other yes. in this weird, fucked up relationship, and it was really, really compelling. Well, he's an old man. He's sort of a father figure to her. Yeah, but but in a fucked up way. But yeah. it's not it's not like there's no sexual romance. No, no, fucked up in that he he manipulates her to commit crimes. And yes, that kind of thing. Yes, and and there's almost nothing that that he can do to, you know, to dissuade her affection for him and mm-hmm. vice versa. And so the, it leads to this really weird story. Uh, this I this is I have never read a Marvel comic book that this make me think of. This was a hundred percent unique in my experience. So he makes a deal with a a demon. Uh, I can't remember the demon's name to trade Manhattan, the island. The the demon keeps a big treasure trove, like a like a like a Tolkien dragon, right. and he's trading the island of Manhattan for immortality for both himself and Felicia. And it's the, it's the not, gilded saint. Yes, it's a very comic book thing. You just kind of have to run yep. with where like yep. people give a portion of their heists to this to this sort of god of theft. <laughs> You're right. It's, it's a giant like another dragon reference. Another. It's a giant cave of treasure underneath manhattan full of all the- which made me think if, if just we can get to the pedantic part of my, of me because because i'm here uh-huh. i heard a story once about gold mm-hmm. talking about you know how it's valuable but like there's only actually enough gold in the world to fill like an olympic swimming pool that's like how much there gold there is it's right. not a lot and so i looked over the shot of this valley full of gold and i was like that doesn't happen then again he's a giant skeleton demon so <laughs> <laughs> it's not all gold. Some of it is copper and bronze, and there's seashells. It's whatever people have used for it's money true. since the so beginning. So there was a lot of humanity. gold, Connor. That's anyway, uh, so she goes down into the vault where no one has escaped from before, and she makes a deal, and she basically thwarts the fox, and it ends with the conversation about how she did that on that same bench. And at first, I was like, wait, did I read this already? Because they're sitting in the same position everything. It's just a, it's a really nice visual uh, yeah. continuity. And, you know, it's... It, nothing, nothing between them happens the way that you think it's going to. Like, there is not a blowout. 
he did something to her that she's not comfortable with. And so she went to screw him over. And he's like, I understand. He traded the deed for Manhattan for immortality for him and Felicia. So he doesn't want to die. He's an old man who was dying. And so he did the deal and basically condemned everyone who lived in Manhattan to, to being, you know, being sucked down to this thieves demon world. Do you think they'd even this? <laughs> no, which is a great way to describe Manhattan. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what are you saying that isn't happening? And she is not happy, obviously, because he's, he's condemned millions of people to this fate. And so she double crosses him here and condemns him to that, the fate instead. And it was emotional. You know, she's not, mm-hmm. she, at no point does she yell at him. She's not, she's not like yeah. mad at him. She's just disappointed and she's sad and she knows what she has to do as he gets sucked into the demon world with, as he turns back to an old man and he, he says, I love you. I understand what you did. Very clever. I'm very, I'm very proud of you. Yeah. It was good. The whole thing, every issue has been great. I, it's a, at this point, by the time I got, I don't remember how long this arc has, I don't know if I've been reading it for all seven issues or I started later. I think that we had read something by Jed McKay that we liked and I saw his name and I thought I should, I should read this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really got to the point where a new one came and I was really looking forward to it. Yeah. I would like it if this was another 10 issues of them, like, doing shit to each other and then sitting on a bench and talking about it afterwards. <laughs> well, the first run, I mean, this is one of those dumb renumberings. So the, this mm-hmm. is probably issue, like issue 14 in reality. Her and the Black Fox and her two sort of, or three minions have been the main characters of the whole run from the beginning. And it's been Jen McKay since the beginning. It's just that they remembered it for some reason after 10 issues or something. I didn't love Felicia as like the kingpin thing. I thought that was dumb. Yeah, that was dumb. And, and so to sort of have her back to this sort of, I mean, she's, she's Catwoman. What am I trying to say? That's what, what she is, you know, is better. The first arc had like, her going around stealing things from like Doctor Strange's house and the Fantastic Four headquarters and all that stuff. It was really delightful. I've, this book's been great. Michael Dowling drew Unfollow. That's which what, was yes. that Vertigo Pete Milligan book. Yes, yes, yes. And then an image series called SFSX, which for some reason I've never heard of. Did we read it? I think we might have. Green Lantern number three. I liked, but I felt like there was a lot happening here. Yeah, I was definitely like, okay, slow down. <laughs> and I didn't love the art, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. It was just Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. Tom Rainey is a veteran. I don't think the colors helped. It's sort of a faux painted style. And I didn't like it. This is all the fallout of the battery. As, as we said before, at the end of the second issue, the battery gets destroyed. And all of the Green Lanterns who have been sent out on assignment as they attempt to join the United Federation of Planets or whatever it's called are left in space without any power. And so this is the fallout of all that. The first issue was here's the new epoch. And now the third issue is here's the n- next new epoch. Right. In quick succession. One thing I think that I'm missing with this is. I don't really know these characters all that well or there now there's a bunch of characters and this is not really even a complaint i know there's like there's this green lantern from the far sector book i know that simon baz and the other lady have jessica cruz that's our jessica they've been around for a bit and i know that teen lantern you know like i don't even really know that much about john stewart Mm. i know the broad strokes of him so i'm I'm wondering if there's stuff going on here that I'm, i'm not sort of following i like him as a character i wish there were more stories that they did about him as opposed to just being a side character. And this is pretty close to that. But there was a lot. And and I th- feel like I was just getting my feet on the other one and then everything shifted again. I'm not particularly lost. I don't think it's poorly done. No, it's it's just, it was just a lot in this issue. I wasn't confused. But they, they definitely managed to put a lot in here. And then, you know, the, the big thing at the end is there's Al Jordan. He's He's got something to do with something. But it, it's interesting it's compelling, it's ambitious. Mm-hmm. And frankly, with all of these characters that I don't know anything about, it's pretty interesting that it's holding my attention. Yeah, I mean, I liked it, but I was like, woof, wow, that's all, after everyone was yeah. exhausted. I think part of me is just like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to spend any time with Hal Jordan on this one for some reason. And you're not going to, it's yeah. a John Stewart book. I don't know what it is about Hal Jordan over the last, like, I feel like he's been a little lost as a character. He's, he's for disappeared for a while, yes. He, well, no, I, I mean, like, but I don't think people know what to do with him. I think he was really fun to read in other stories or in the past or whatever, but it's difficult to point out where or how he fits in in the current DC universe. He was kind of shunted aside for Simon and Jessica. Right. You know, he was on the Justice League, and then they got rid of him and put them on the Justice League, and then 
they sent him into space, but nothing really interesting happened there. And then he just sort of been. I, I didn't come out of Grant Morrison's series like, OK, I understand where we are now. Right. That's, that's the opposite of what happened there. Right. Another book that I thought about for pick was Serial Number 4, which is such a strange Terry Moore book. But I think it's super compelling. And I really like the storytelling in this issue. I liked it. I agree with you, but I, I I am suffering a little bit with like, wait, now who's this person? Right. That's the real drawback here. And we, we've talked about that before. Like, luckily, I can tell who the little girl is, but I feel like going from issue to issue, I keep having to reorient myself. And because everybody kind of looks like some variation of Tambi or Ketchu, I get lost. Well, there was a moment here where I thought I was looking at the cop, but it was the little girl, even though it's a, she's <laughs> a little girl. One's a little girl, one's a woman. They both are brunette, and she was wearing a hoodie, and, and I thought, is that the cop investigating? No, it's the girl. Right. But I, I liked the sort of mundane aspect of the investigation here, where, you know, yeah, you know, the cop goes to question a witness, they look at a thing, and then she finds clues through just the the mundane door knocking. And while, Meanwhile, the little girl, you know, has a picture of the car, so she's in the library looking up car photos, and she finds the ma- like. It was just yeah. like, this is the mundane work of investigation. It's not like it on TV. And then, you know, the it's whole also, bit. In, in places, the mundane work of comic book telling, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but as I'm looking at, there's a large section of no dialogue. On oh, a lot of it. A lot 9, of 10, 11, 12. Like, and it really is just like this woman well, who she's, is the killer. She's the honey she, trap or whatever. She's the, she's the serial killer, as the title suggests. Right. And there is an examination of psychopathy here. And there's a quote to open yes. up about psychopathy. But here she sees two women in the parking lot, you know, making out and they're smiling and she's mimicking their smile as she drives home over and over again. And it's creepy. Yeah, that's the page I was specifically I was like, I don't know. I, I think that you put together more of the dots that I because that makes a ton of sense. I think I'm just reading too fast. But it's int- I, I guess my point being that like. Because this is one of the few remaining completely independent things. Mm-hmm. He's just doing what he does. He's like, I'm going to do a page of four panels of her doing glass blowing. Right. You know, it, it, he's going he's gonna to let us sit in a moment in a way that they do not have the luxury to do otherwise. Now, the luxury also comes along with the fact that he's got a pretty set in readership, you know, and they, they know what to expect in terms of like they can wait through this stuff. They can get there. You know, he's but he's still doing his thing. He's not trying to. Maybe he's not even able to commercialize it that right. much more than he has. And I, I, I kind of love that. Yeah. And then there's, at the end, it's pretty brutal. I mean, I, I didn't read all Strangers in Paradise like you did, but I don't know if this kind of overt brutality is normal for his books. I kind of don't remember. I think this is worse. So then the little girl is followed by a pedophile, and she obviously she's, she's some sort of, not demon, but she's some sort of like... Uh, Immortal kind of... She was in five years, right? So she's she's not just a regular human. So he thinks he's got the drop on her. In fact, he doesn't. And so then she's she's the one who fell in love with the Russian scientist I, that I they kidnapped. So. I think. I don't know. It's hard. These books are all interconnected, and he doesn't do a great job of explaining that part. But anyway, here's here's what you get with a Terry. You get you get a, a blonde woman. You get a taller blonde woman. <laughs> a, a taller, more muscular blonde woman. Then you get a brunette woman, and then you get a brunette child. Everyone will be one of those things. I liked it, though. I really did like it. Amazing Spider-Man 67. You put this on the list. I don't even remember. I did. I want to talk about the two Spider-Man books that came out this week. Amazing Spider-Man 67. Oh, right. I I have no complaints about it other than this was the most stressful comic book I've read in I don't know how long. It it starts (laughs) off and, like... um, Peter has to meet Betty Brandt and and she says that she's pregnant and he's all stressed out because he finds out the husband is Ned Leeds and he's like, oh no, but that's not really Ned Leeds and I should have told her, but I decided not to and then I did. Ah, shit, I got to get to work. And he goes to work and at the work, the person who he's doing the science experiment with him and they're fighting and it's because of another Spider-Man thing that he can't tell the guy about and then we find out that the other scientist is having problems with his mom so he's trying to steal money, but then he gets cornered by a... Is like old school yeah. Spider-Man constant problems. There's yeah. a there's a there's a there's a Brian Regan joke uh, where he's like, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. I, I I would never want to be president because the moment you wake up, your eyes in the morning, it's problems. Yeah, and that's what this was. And I was I was like, that book was great, but I'm completely stressed out. I didn't like the art. I don't even remember. Yeah. Well, the the thing about these two Spider-Man books is that there are eight, eight 
inkers between the two of them. Three on this one, five on the next one. Yeah, I didn't like the art in this book at all. But I did agree with you. The story was very classic Spider-Man. Yeah. And I don't quite... Oh, yeah. Then the other thing that's happening is his sister, who I keep wanting to call Jessica, but isn't his clone yeah. sister, whatever she is. Yeah. She's having a thing with the chameleon at the same time. It's a, just a lot. There's a lot happening. And, and that's not bad. Like, I think it fits for Spider-Man, but it was a really stressful sort of issue to read. Like, it was yeah. like, nothing's going right. Yeah. And then the backup story, they're rebuilding the Sinister Six. Yes. And then as we go over to... That nonstop Spider-Man, which is the Joe Kelly, Chris Bocciolo. Which I didn't read. Uh, I, I thought about it, but I was like, I didn't You know read. what? I, I had the first one was a little confusing. The second one was a little better. And this one, I think this one really delivered on the nonstop. Like it really was constant movement, but I knew what was going on. Also, Joe Kelly writes some of the best Spider-Man dialogue, like really funny quips and back and forth and and just like with ease and it mm-hmm. fits in really well the dialogue in this book was really really good it's a little bit silly there's a bit where the you know he's got the pages going from left to right and then they spin around and go left to uh right to left and then back around again and very few can get away with that mm-hmm. they put the arrows in and everything on this one but it it read really well i, re- I really enjoyed it actually yeah. i enjoyed this one more than amazing spider-man this week i think at first, I didn't know what it was. I do. I also think that it's a case of it's a stupid title, and it's a pretty dumb concept. I think you could call the story that. Right. But to make it its own miniseries seems out of place. It, it like gives it, it it gives it something that you're looking for that isn't necessarily there. You just think it's it's a Spider-Man story, you know. Like right. they kind of oversold it, but I think it works. And, you know, Bachelo is Bachelo. Yeah, it's good. All right. Let's take a moment to thank our sponsor for the week, Macroverse, the new next-generation comics and webtoon app that is the universe of adventure. When you download the app for iOS or Android, not only do you get some of the best curated comics around, but you also get to read them using Macroverse's unique tap story format. All the comics in Macroverse are custom crafted for your phone. It adds the element of time and a page turn between each tap. This means the creators can craft the reading experience to create an immersive experience for humor, jump scares, the things that you would see what's coming up if you were looking at the page, which is tricky because if you think about when you're writing comics, Every time there's a spread, you can't put a surprise on yep. anywhere but the end of the second page. The end of the odd-numbered page. Right. I don't know how they did it when there was ads to sort of contend with in the middle of the book, too. That's kind of uh, amazing. Tricky, yeah. And they're sort of adapting that for, for technology, which is, which is always a good thing. And some will stick, and, and some will change the way things are done. And this one works really well. It is the way uh, that comics would be if you invented them today, which is what I said. I just hadn't gotten to that part in the copy. <laughs> if you love comics and webtoons, you'll love it. Macroverse has comics for everyone. Kids, uh, Comics for kids, like Rock, Mary Rock. For all YA audiences, like Glitch and Remind. The re is small. The mind is big. Horror with Dead Town and Damayaga and action like Billy Smoke and Anti. Billy Smoke gets me every time. Every time. Uh, there's some picks that we do want you to check out. There's Remind, which is the Eisner Award-nominated Remind. Uh, a Miyazaki-esque tale of a young woman looking for her lost cat. <laughs> he washes up on the shore in a sleepy coastal town with a head full of stitches and the startling ability to speak and no memory of how he got that way. Her quiet life has changed. If he can't remember, what good is he? I'm saying if my cat shows up with stitches in his head, and then he's like, sup? <laughs> I don't know how I'd be able to function, but that's <laughs> but you should check this book out for that. There's Dead Town. This series follows Chan. It's a classic, hard-boiled anti-hero. He plies his trade in a world overrun by zombies, visually inspired by the rich black-and-white style of Touch of Evil. Mm. The director of that is uh, Orson Welles. And the Maltese Falcon, you know the director of that? John Houston. That's right. Dead Town combines film noir with the zombie horror genre and an edgy reimagining of this detective thriller. Finally, season two of Balshear's action comedy, Aliens vs. Parker. This is a unique creator's cut of the Boom series, is rewritten and reimagined specifically for Macroverse. It is uh, out exclusively on Macroverse. If you want to get on board with the next generation of comics, go download Macroverse today, available on iOS and Android. You can use our special link to get the app, which is IFN. 
bit.ly slash macroverse or go to ifmo.com and click the link on the post about this podcast episode. That is always the case by the sponsors, by the way. With the app, you'll get multiple series with free episodes and then it is $4.99 a month for unlimited access to all the great comics. Go to www.macroverse.com or download the app again by ifn.by slash macroverse. Thank you to Macroverse for their support. Now go enjoy the next generation of comics with them. Ifn boy. Ifn be. I wanted to mention Noctera, number four, came out this week. You've been talking about it. I hadn't read it. So this week I read the first four issues and I did like it. Yeah, it's better than many of these types of stories. It's not an unusual type of story. It's images, I would say, default genre, which is post-apocalypse horror, sci-fi. And I like it way more than I like Undiscovered Country, the other one Scott Snyder's doing uh, with Chris uh, Charles Soule. Chris is Charles' brother. This one's fun. It's been fast-paced. I like the main character. I like the world. It's this sunless world where it's, it's not just that there's no sun, that there's just some sort of infection, demony infection involved with there being no sun. And if you're exposed to the darkness for too long, you start to change into these creatures. And the main character's brother is in the midst of that change. So it's a ticking clock story as well. They got to get to the hopeful cure before he changes totally and they lose him forever. And they're being chased by another guy who was really creepy. Like it's all very fun, fast, action paced, inventive. I like the world. I like the characters. I do have a hard time putting my finger on what it is that makes this work that, that others don't. I know yeah. that I think what is pretty strong is that I do like that main character. I like the sort of story that they're dishing out to us slowly about her and her brother and their parents and the change and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a, got a little layer of humanity that most people can't seem to squeeze in there or at least do it well. Uh, yeah. And I was trying to figure out why I like this where I don't like Undiscovered Country. Yeah. And I, I don't know what that is because they're both fantastical. They both involve creatures and demons. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is, but this one seems to work better. I like it's grounded on only a handful of characters, whereas Undiscovered Country had like a lot of characters. And Maybe it has this, and, and then we'll, we will move on. Is Undiscovered Country the name of that book? Yes. This book is very focused on a small section of the thing and she's not out to save the world. Right. It's not the person who's going to change everything, at least as far as I know. Right. And maybe that's it's it. It's a personal story. Yeah. That's probably close. Uh, did you read Batman, the adventures continue? Number one, Alan Burnett, Paul Dini, no. Ty Templeton. I think those are the creators because there was no creative page. I was unaware of it. I, I saw it in your script. The first version of this was a digital first miniseries. And I don't know if this is digital first or not because the first one was formatted uh-huh. horizontally. And this is a regular vertical format. So I don't know if this is huh. a paper book as well or what. But regardless, I just wanted to mention, since we're staying on Scott Snyder, the first miniseries was all about introducing modern Batman concepts into the animated series universe, or at least more modern. So you had like Jason Todd and Azrael and Deathstroke, things that were not in the original universe and here we have the court of owls i thought this is great and i also think you know scott snyder's run of batman was really long and really varied still i think overall very very successful and i think one of the, the best ideas he had was the court of owls ideas one of their first ones they dealt with in that run the idea of this secret society of old old money gotham people who've been running things and they have this army of talons like i thought it was a good idea and here they it's brought into the fold and the big thing that happens is that Mayor Hamilton Hill from the cartoon, it's murdered by the Court of Owls. And I was like, because he's, he's, you know, he's a main, he's a big character in the book. But this featured uh, Zatanna and it featured Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon on a date and it features Dead Man. And again, the Court of Owls and the Talons and Nightwing. And uh, this just really worked for me. I thought this was really strong. That's awesome. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a fan of the, this world of those books, this is a good issue to jump onto. Finally, did you read Iron Man and Annual Number One? I did. Jed McKay did. again. So I guess Ed what McKay. they're doing here, and I didn't know about this, is they're telling, uh, I guess, an event-esque story through annuals, which is what they used to do. That's good stuff. In the 90s. That's how Dad did it. <laughs> that being said, this was okay. It was okay. It wasn't bad, but it was okay. It wasn't great. I liked the basic ideas of it. That character that was created over in um, Miles Morales' Spider-Man, mm-hmm. the assessor. It's really scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's a good villain, and, and you know, Tony goes in there and he's got all of his, you know, bravado and his, his arrogance his, his, and his tech. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, it's a bigger threat than it appears. And and I thought that was kind of interesting and, and fun. I don't know what happened to what did that Cantwell Iron Man story end? That's still going. That series. Still yeah, going. I feel like I haven't seen it in a while. 
I know, you know, it's almost like Hal Jordan. Like I, I haven't quite figured out Iron Man's place right now because they kind of pulled him away from everything and he's overdoing his own thing. And we read so many different versions of sort of Avengers. So there's always an Iron Man somewhere. I like the suit a lot. Yeah. I know we've talked about it in, with the Cantwell book, but to see another artist do it, I like this suit a lot. I love the opening bit with the Moloids who haven't got to invade the surface world yet. And so mm. all they know about surface world is the TV they get to watch underneath. So they're all obsessed with Seinfeld and Friends and Sex in the City because it's old 90s TV about New York. Because they don't have internet access. They just have <laughs> the reruns that show up in the city. And so then they decide to not invade, but to come to the surface world to experience life that they've seen on TV. So they're looking for Seinfeld. They're looking for the diner. They want to find Carrie's house. I thought it was funny. It was an, it was a funny bit, mostly because they're so ridiculous looking. But they just want to. Yeah. They're just so excited to be on the surface world. They want hot dogs and everything. And mm. I think Miles and Tony are an inter- interesting pairing. You know, Ma- Tony and Peter are a classic sci-fi nerd comic book pairing. But Miles is a different version of different flavor of Spider-Man. So it was interesting to see them together. And you can't have that movie relationship that right. Tony and Peter have because it doesn't work. But here you can, and and it works really well like that. And also this. Tony's a little more a little more empathetic than the movie version. So, the only thing is that this is supposed to be about uh, the Infinity Stones. I guess they're now called in the comics. Fuck the gems. What they used to be called the Infinity the gems. gems. I Maybe he just changed in my mind and I never even noticed it. But this was so sort of vaguely tied to that idea. I guess the, this whole story is is about sort of rediscovering the Infinity Stones and where they are in the world. And here. I guess the idea is that the space stone is held by Quantum, the, the character that's in this book. But it didn't feel to me like a big overarching story. It just felt like this was like a one-off that happened to do with a stone. And I don't know if that's what we're doing here or what, but I don't know. All right. It's going to run through Black Cat Annual and Captain America Annual. I mean, all books I'm liking, so. I see, yeah. I don't even know. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't seek out annuals. I, I look at them and I go, do I want to read this? And I look at who did it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I sort of go case by case, but maybe this will make me read more annuals and that'll be what they wanted. Oh, I pulled a Josh here. I didn't read the backup. You mentioned that in an earlier story and I totally didn't either. I forget which one. I but... stopped at the checklist. I didn't realize it was yep. a, there was a Nick Fury backup back here. Yeah. Actually, I did read that one, but like all modern Nick Fury backups. Stupid. I don't care. I thought we'd be going to Star Wars Corner this week, so I added my own corner, but we didn't go into Star Wars Corner. So Hellfire Gala Corner is Here, our... I'll give you my... my, my the, the War of the Bounty Hunter is too much. <laughs> like, it would be fun for a month or so, but that shit's going to the fall, and I don't want to do it. So I, I went into another corner of our room, Hellfire Gala Corner, and this is the big event that they've been leading up to in the X-Men books. The X-Men's version of the Met Gala, in which... A lot of really rich people show up in really outlandish costumes to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York for a charity ball. You may recall seeing it from Ocean's 8. I was about to say, that's the only thing I knew about it. That's a real thing? Yeah, well, totally. So here we have the Hellfire Gala, which they've had before in the comics. In fact, this, one of these issues includes a reprint of, of, from, from the, old, the old days of Claremont. What's fun about this is it seems like for the next month or so, all of these books are taking place at the gala. So you're having, you're having a, you're getting a real deep dive into this party through the X-Men books. So I read all three X-Men books this week, Marauders 21, Hellions 12, and X-Force 20, and you're getting different viewpoints and different focuses with these books. And they cross over a bit, and they're, they're overlapping scenes, but the main books seem to be Marauders 21, which gave you the biggest overview, whereas X-Force focused on the security aspect and Deadpool trying to crash the party and that, that fight happening. And then Hellions was about that group, which I don't know anything about, so I, I enjoyed that one at least. I really liked Marauders. In fact, Marauders 21 also kind of for pick of the week. I just love a social setting for superheroes where the X-Men are throwing this giant gala. They're opening up to invited guests, so you've got the Avengers show up and the Fantastic Four show up and Doctor Doom shows up, which leads to lots of fun, hilarity, and including many celebrity guests who are sometimes drawn recognizably and sometimes not. Sometimes <laughs> you're like, who is that supposed to be? I guess that's Patton mm-hmm. Oswalt. It was just really fun and inventive. And anytime you get characters in a room like this, you just sort of bou- let them bounce off each other. Like there's a dice game in the back that the thing and a guy from AIM is involved with. And one of my favorite scenes is Captain America and Doom in a stare down contest while Killer Mike and Eminem watch. And Emma Frost comes to break it up. And Captain America keeps looking at her sort of sideways. And later on, Emma goes to Kitty Pride. She's like, you know, I've never thought about him that way before, but Captain America might be interesting. And she was like, no, no, 
not at all. Don't do that. <laughs> and then Emma takes a brief glimpse into his head, and she's mortified to realize that he doesn't uh, attract to her. He, she reminds him of his mother. And so that, that sends her down a spiral. <laughs> There's just a lot of fun bits like that. The Marauders was written by Jerry Duggan. I love the heck out of this. I'm really excited, actually, to read. You don't get this kind of experimentation where you're going you're gonna to spend a lot of issues on one event. I mean, how many issues is this? There's a checklist at some point. It's fun. It was really fun. I, I thought this was terrific. I, think, I mean, okay. I, Josh, I'd say check this one issue out. Check out Marauders 21. I think I looked through it because I couldn't remember. I keep forgetting if I'm reading Marauders or not. I think I read one every once in a while and I, I come in. Like 14 issues are going to be taking place at this party. That feels like too much. It, it could be, but I applaud the craziness of it. Maybe it'll work. I mean, I could see like at the retreat and they didn't have it this year. But Well, there are, there are phases. Going, to be fair, there are phases of the yeah. party. So like the first part is the general... I know, but just like, hear me out. (laughs) This summer's event is a party. What do you mean? One night of party and all the superheroes are there. I'm listening. (laughs) At some point, Mr. Fantastic whispers something mysterious to Professor Xavier that stuns him, but we don't hear what it is. So there's lots of interesting things happening here. I still like the Illuminati. I thought that was great. They should do that more. Where are we? All right. That's the books we want to talk about. Although it wasn't a giant week. There was a lot to talk about. But at patreon.com slash ifanboy, the patrons can vote to add a book to the rundown. Any patron can vote. And this week, the overwhelming winner was The Nice House on the Lake, book one from DC Comics. This black label line written by James Tinney and the fourth, drawn by Alvaro Martinez Bueno, with colors by Jordi Belair and the letters by And World Design. There is, as we know, long-term listeners know, we know, there's a strong horror lobby amongst the patrons. And they keep... Running at that brick wall, hoping that one day they'll bust through it. Yeah, but this had the, well, I was, this is not unique distinction, but of course what we have here is apocalypse horror. So, I thought that, first, I liked the art a lot. I liked Alvaro mm-hmm. Martinez Bueno, and I really liked the Jordi Belair colors. They were rougher than I tend to associate with Jordi Belair. It was almost like a lot of it was impressionistic in the way she colored it. I really liked the way that looked. The story of this book, I thought was interesting, and I thought would have been stronger. Here comes the armchair comic writing. I thought it would have been stronger without the cold open if we didn't know what was coming, if we let it unfold in a creepy way. I actually forgot that because I just opened it and I looked at the first page, and I, went, oh, I forgot that was there. But I think at that point I had no idea what I was reading, and that didn't make an impact on me. And so when we get to the bar where they're having this conversation about the end of the world and obviously Chekhov's gun they're talking about the yeah. end of the world so there's going to be something happening with that I think without the first page which we see the main character and she's all you know warriored out oh, and yeah. she's losing yeah. an eye, she's lost an eye and there's a fight you know lose that page so I don't know what's coming and let this unfold naturally mm-hmm. in a creepy way I liked the I think you're right twilight zone aspect of the middle part where it was very grounded and you know, what is actually happening. I'm going to tell you all this in a second, but I liked that more than I liked the fantastical bits that bookended the issue. The first bit that you're talking about didn't really make an impact on me. I literally didn't remember it right. because of the rest of it. But the, but the bit where she starts talking about meeting this guy, Walter, and the conversation they would have and, and sort of the relationship, then it was nice. And I, I was okay. I'm okay. I'm down, I'm down with this. And then they get this weird invitation to go to this this lake house. And at that point, I started to lose the thread because they, they just spent pages and pages introducing me to these people who were just like early 30s pretty people from the city. And I, I just thought, okay. I, like at first I was down and then they get into this thing. Well, who's the artist? What's the, like all the different sort of categories. And I really, I was out at that point in my head. Then the thing happens mm-hmm. and I thought, well, that's interesting. Okay, so here's the spo- spoilers. We can't, we can't talk yeah. about the spoilers. So issue opens with this one weird page we skipped past to, you know, in Brooklyn in a bar and this young artist, she's in her early 20s at this point, hanging out with her friends and there's some friend of a friend there and he's kind of this aloof guy who's wearing either sunglasses or something in the bar and he asks her as a way, as she thinks hitting on her is, how do you think the world's going to end? And that leads to a long, years-long relationship, not romantic or sexual, where they watch apocalyptic films together and they discuss through text and phone calls various theories about how the world will end. And I thought that was strange enough to be interesting. Yes. And then... She doesn't hear from him from years, for years, and oh, I forgot we go back to the, the apocalypse with her later on. In the, they didn't need to keep cutting to the future. 
And then, so then years later, she gets an email inviting her to a beautiful lake house in like Wisconsin for like a week in the summer. And, you know, it's a gorgeous house that he sends photos in this email. And so she goes to find a bunch of old friends and people she doesn't know are also in this house. And we get little dossiers and all of them. And some are from this guy's high school life and some are from yeah. college life and some are from New York life. But I, I was still like, oh, great. It's a bunch of millennials. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a doctor and a, and a pianist and a comedian and a scientist and a reporter and a consultant for the Democratic Party and an acupuncture. Like, there's a for lot the record, of record. I didn't think that the comedian was written like a real comedian. The comedian's not the big party guy. That's no, not how that works. He's a quiet, kind of sad guy. Exactly. I know. So they're all got in this house, and it's a beautiful house. They think it's owned by a billionaire, and Walter shows up. And the first sign should, should have been this guy's name is Walter. There's no millennial named Walter. And while they're in the house sort of partying and grilling steaks and drinking and swimming in this pool, our main character sees on her phone that New York is under some sort of fire attack, and everyone's dying, and Anderson Cooper has been burned alive on TV. It got pretty gruesome for a bit. But it was compelling. I read through all of that text. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> she finds it via Twitter. And so we're looking at her Twitter feed. And we find out that all the major cities in America are being attacked by this sort of fire from the sky. And that's when Walter reveals that he's an alien. And they're all the only people left alive in America. And they'll be safe in this house until they die. They have enough food and shelter. And they'll be fine. And they'll just live here. He, he likes them. And they'll, they'll live safely here. And everyone else will be dead. And I thought... And then he gets stabbed in the face and a demon face comes out. And I thought, take away the fantastic elements and leave it as a psychological thing. Is this real? I mean, I think that's what it's going to be anyway. I I was like, oh, this is like the real world, but messed up. So I I, I, I liked it until, I liked it without the beginning. I liked it without the end. If he had just been like, if he just revealed it to them without turning into a demon face, then I would have been more interested in it. But I didn't like the demon-y stuff. I don't know that it was necessary is what I yeah, thought. Yes, you know, when exactly. he said, like, my people, like, you know. So, like, does it then be, is it about the, what take a, happens? Take a cue from the Twilight Zone. Let it. Let him just look like a human, like a weird human. Is he actually an alien? We don't know. To me, that's the more interesting right. part. Right. Well, well, like, it really will depend on what the story becomes. Like, is it them trying to solve the mystery of this whole thing? Is it what happens to people who you put in a box with this, right. what's going on around them? I don't know if I love either of those, but there was an element of like, I feel like I can see this as a movie, obviously, Mm -hmm. but without that, like, this is what happens to the people in there. And at the end of it, they've all killed each other, you know, and, and then you find out the world was fine. You know, like, like that's the, that's the movie version. To me, that's more compelling if there's not a demon face, but it doesn't need to be though. I mean, like just make it Russians or whatever, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't dislike it, but I was a little disappointed. Yeah, it was, it it was a, it was trying really hard, and and not necessarily in a bad way, but there was, I'd say, ratchet it down just a little. There was a lot of characters. There was, yeah, you, stuck, you, you managed to fit a lot in here. I will jump to the end of our thing and say I'll, it's enough for me to check out the next issue, but I'm not excited. I'm I'm more curious to see. And I think the next issue is the make or break issue for me, depending on what happens. I think you're right. I think I'm I think I'm right there with you on that. So ratings on the nice house on the lake, book one, DC Comics is black label. Vertigo. I'm, vertigo gonna, I'm gonna give this three stars out of five, and I'm going to check out the next issue, but I'm like I said, I'm not excited, I'm more curious. I'm gonna give it a three and a half. I think while I don't like a lot of the story choices, I think craft wise it did a lot of heavy lifting. I thought the art was really nice and it was pretty well written. Three and a half. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Any patron can vote to add a book to the rundown, but to give you the $5 or higher level, you get your superpower live on the show like these four patrons. Jorge Lopez has complete and utter control of his autonomous system. Meaning? He doesn't sneeze unless he oh. wants to. No coughing? No coughing. There's no unexpected farts. Wow. He's complete control of, of his autonomous biological systems. Now, they still keep him alive. Sure. You know, he, he can set them on autopilot if he wants to, but there's no, you know, hiccups are a thing of the past. Oh. Mm-hmm. Does that include runny noses? Is that part of that? that yeah, sickness? I guess so, because the runny noses are, is a reaction to the symptom and not the symptom, really. It's, it's your body trying to fight things off. 
but he might want to like he'd have control over but doesn't mean that he wouldn't want it to be because like early on you figure out oh if i stop this this is what happens so Mm -hmm. you know you let it go but there's times when maybe you you plug it up eric zirin zirin what is your take on that one zirn zirn you know how the character overdrive could turn any car into like you know a tricked out crazy version of the car eric when he's in any kind of vehicle Two things happen. This is if he activates his power. It doesn't happen unless he wants it to happen. He turns into a grizzled old sea captain with like a white beard and a hat and this pipe. And the, mm-hmm. the vehicle turns into an old sea boat. Mar. And he, he, becomes, he becomes an old sea captain and he's in an old Question. fishing boat. A, a boat like that requires an enormous and skilled crew. So how does that work? Is oh, no, no. Everybody just, in the car is? <laughs> everybody in the car is now on the boat. Right, but that's usually not enough. True, but the size of the boat is relative to the size. Of the, so if it's a car, it's a small boat. But if it's like on a plane, then it becomes a giant so boat and all those people it on would make boat. sense. It would make sense for him to like travel around with a, a, a load of day laborers. Right, right. Just in case. Yeah. Yar, yeah. I take to the sea. <laughs> I don't need no wife, got to sea. Mm. <laughs> Sew him up in sailcloth and let him go. <laughs> uh, like, and not like an old, like a pirate. He looks like a, he looks like you know, like a sea captain. An old with, salt with a with a pea coat and a captain's hat. Yeah, you know that on my the maternal side of my family, those are my people. Yeah, of course. That's what my that's what my people were. Yeah, it's your destiny, Josh. <laughs> it's not what I'm about. <laughs> Reggie Zimmerman, always, one hundred percent of the time has a genuinely relevant anecdote. Oh, wow. So if he starts to tell you an anecdote, at the end of it, you will not think, why did you say that? You'll go, oh, that really gives me a perspective on this that I have, or, you know, it, it, it's helpful. It's always it's a funny situation genuinely just talked about. relevant anecdotes. George Sullivan, in addition to being a 1930s prize fighter, can stuff any food with what needs to be stuffed in it. For instance, like he's got a chicken. He can stuff that chicken with whatever he wants to be stuffed in there. Mm-hmm. Or like he wants to make stuffed shells or he's got a donut but doesn't got jelly in it. He can stuff that donut with jelly. He instantly, mm-hmm. he instantly stuffs any food with, with whatever he needs to be in that. Let me ask you this. Do you like stuffed foods? I mean, I enjoy like stuffing a chicken or a turkey. I rem- Well, yeah. But there was a whole stuffed foods thing when we were kids and I don't think it gave us a lot. Well, I like a donut filled with cream. Cream, sure. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. There's the pudding. There's the custardy kind. And yeah. then there's the more. Boston cream. Yeah. I'm thinking about that right now. I haven't had a donut in a long time. A long time. I was thinking I haven't either, but it was more like a month. <laughs> Which is a long time for you. It is. It's not, it's not nothing. Did your doctor say something? I mean, no, but. <laughs> not recently, anyway. It's not like I don't know. <laughs> My Patre- pants keep saying something. <laughs> Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go help the show. I will just do this really quick. The, the patrons help the show, keep the show going. I unlock shows for you to listen to and, and watch and enjoy. We thank everyone who joins the patrons. Uh, fanboy.threadless.com is where you can buy our t-shirts. Fanboy.com slash support is where you can donate via PayPal. And Fanboy.com slash Amazon is where you can shop the books we talk about and generally shop. And all those ways are the ways people help keep iFanboy going. And we thank everyone who does all those things. And hopefully we make it fun for you. So let's do a quick email. This is a pretty quick one. Craig from Houston, Texas. As I decided to travel back in time, Craig may be on something. I started playing old versions of the iFanboy podcast. Today I was in the time capsule of December 2005, Generation M number one. As you talked about X-Men and the line at the time being too big and spread out, it seems that things haven't changed. As much as I want to make this an X-Men related question, my question is, do you all ever revisit your older episodes for the purposes of seeing how comics or your perspectives have changed? I've been thinking about this since 2005, as that's where I am in the fanboy timeline right now. No powers, no patron powers. Ron's still around talking about his 26 long boxes and collecting magazines. And Josh mentions the Lego X-Wing in the last episode. Also, the Anvil's a great bar. Thanks, Connor. So, I mean, that's, we start in November. Yeah, he's he's a month into it. So you're on like episode two, three. Yeah. So, no, we don't go back and listen to them. 
I, I don't no, think. I mean, I, I last year during the pe- beginning of the pandemic when I wasn't working, I went through the old shows and cleaned up the show notes. So I did hear bits and pieces of every episode, but it's been a long time since I've like listened to a random episode, an old one. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what sort of awful, uninformed, unearned things I would have been saying back then. Hold on. Generation M was episode five. Episode five. It came out on December 3rd, 2005. It was 40 minutes long. We talked about four books. Oh, that's interesting also to note that the music we used in that episode was Never End by the 101, which became our video theme song. Yes, that's true. Uh Uh-huh. We talked about four books. I wonder how my perspective has changed. I think, I mean, one of the big differences that I think that we understand... Well, you weren't reading comics back then. (laughs) (laughs) That was the very beginning when you weren't going to the comic store every week. I think that was just a practical issue. One of the things I was recording when I was doing this show notes was, like, what we talked about that weren't related to comics. And in Uh episode two and three, the topic was why Josh didn't buy his books this week. (laughs) I got over that. We started the show, and in the second and third episode, one of the hosts wasn't even reading comics that week i still i had things to say but this show that that he's talking about i didn't read my books that week so that you know wow yeah that's i mean that's that's really that's something so i'm looking at my lego x-wing right now by the way i can see it also Uh, episode three was 21 minutes long actually i think that he meant lego tie fighter because the x-wing came later i think he meant the tie fighter as well that was the one you dropped on the show i broke i got it back together it's still over there i just can't see it anyway i mean it would be i think it'd be horrifying I mean, in some ways it'd be entertaining, but in too. some ways it'd be horrifying. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people now talking about things all the time. You know, it's, there's a lot of unearned qualifications in, in sort of, and, and one of the things I like is that I think that over time, we always took this seriously, but we just know more. Seriously and, enough and, to be reading the books. Yeah, no, but I, I just... Oh, mean, we I both did it, we both so, did it. I'm, I'm, I'm not knocking you, we both did yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know, but like, like besides that, you know, there, there's, you know, there, there's, a, there's a qualified opinion, there's an unqualified opinion, and I believe that now I think we can pretty safely say when it comes to sort of, you know, subjective stuff is whatever, but there's, there's objective things about comic books that we have qualified opinions on now that we did not then. And also, we just, they just were bad. Those, those first, especially the first five shows, we didn't yeah, know what we but, were doing. We obviously. didn't know the format. We didn't know how this worked. Podcasting was less than a year old. Like, they just don't know what's going on. We didn't have a script. We didn't even have a rundown for the first couple episodes. We didn't even know what we were going to be talking about. Yeah. It was just like, the person with the pick would talk, then they would talk about a couple other books they read, and then they'd go, hey, Josh, what did you read this week? And then you would talk about a couple of books you read, and then you'd go, what about you, Connor? And then I'd read a couple, then I, and then that was it. Like, we didn't really have a I format. I don't even remember that. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe you. I, I'm imagining you were probably the one to lock it down. No. Oh. In fact, Ron was the one who was like, we should probably write this down before <laughs> Huh. And because we both, you and I were both like, why do we need to write it down? And then that sounds right. And then I uh, was not, I was not progressive. So I, it, you know, it just has a bad show. So I don't want to go back and listen to them. I say that I understand and appreciate comics a lot more now than I did then. Sure. And I like that. That adds to the the experience of it. I'm sure there are some things that we didn't like then that we don't like now. Oh, our our tastes have changed drastically. Mm-hmm. through the course of doing the show. In fact, if you go back and listen, you can hear oh, sure. us really complaining about silly comics or comics that have the Silver Age feel to it, and now that's the thing that you oh. and I like the most. You know, you just change. Over 15 years, you grow and change. You and taste change, and <clears throat> things you like alter, and you, you come back around, and, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just funny to go back and listen to things like, we're just like, well, this book has got a real Silver Age feel. It sucked. I don't want silliness. Because we were young, and, you know, that's what you wanted back then. Self-important. So, yeah, no, I mean, I... I did it in a way when I went back because I had to scrub through a show to, to get the notes. But I don't like, I don't know the last time I like listened to an old show. It's been a long time. Cool. A long time. That's a long time. Thanks, Craig from Houston. Contact that where comments where he wrote in. You can also write in. Uh, you can get a sh- question for this show. You can also write in for the Media Explode show. But if you do that, please put Media Explode in the title of the email. And some of you have done that. So thank you this week for this week or whatever. I don't know what's happening. It's the end of the show. I've lost the ability to talk. 
you can uh, – we, we've got a lot of other shows besides just this one. You can go there now to ifanboy.com and you can find uh, the latest episodes of our Media Explode, which is our monthly not comics show uh, where our main topic there was Tenet, the film and how we felt about it, just like this, but it wasn't a comic we were talking about. It was a very, very dense movie. Mm-hmm. I also have put up uh, this month's Talksplode, which is our creator interview podcast with uh, writer-artist Tom Scioli, and uh, that is how he pronounces it. I asked beforehand because I'm a professional, um, where we talk you know, about his, uh, his interesting and sort of not standard career in comics yeah. and his you know, deep and abiding love and connection to the work of Jack Kirby, including his, uh, his bio-comic, uh, Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. You know, If you liked that book or you like Jack Kirby, that's worth listening to. And Tom's a really talented and, uh, and unique artist as well. It's more than just a guy who draws like Kirby. It's, oh, yeah, no, he's a, he's a total package. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up, here's what we've got coming up for you extra show-wise. This month is a Booksplode month. We alternate with the Booksplode and the Talksplode. The Booksplode is the show about a collected edition. And this month, we're going to be talking about Injustice, Gods Among Us, Year One, the complete collection, which is the 420, I'm going to say 25-page collection of that first bit of Injustice. I am halfway through reading it. And hope to finish it soon and hope to record that soon and get it out to you soon. Josh has already read it. Long enough ago that I'm going to have to I'm gonna <laughs> at least go through it. At least through time. it some more. Sure. And then it, we did the unprecedented move of announcing the next book's blood, which will happen in August, uh, which is going to be True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stanley by Abraham Reisman. This is our first prose edition book's blood, but it's worth talking about this, this prose. We're changing the game. Biography of Stanley. <laughs> And so that's going to come out in August. We're giving you some time to read it. I think it's a fast read. I've already read it. Josh is reading it now. How are you doing that? How far into that one are you? Not as far as I like, but I feel like I'm reading it pretty constantly, and I'm very compelled by it. Yes. Okay. So I'm like 100 pages in. So those are the next two books blows, Injustice, Gods Among Us, Year One, the complete collection this month, Tripoli with the Rise and Fall of Stan Lee, which is in August. You can, you can get on those books to read along with us. And then this month, we'll have our patron hangout with for our patrons or one hour of nonsense. Time to be determined because we haven't talked about it, but we'll figure yeah. it out. And also, we'll have our media explode for this month. Again, subject to be determined because we haven't talked about it. I don't know what we're going to do. It's early in the month. Talk about Cruella. Not going to do that. I don't want to see that movie. <laughs> Are you in danger of having to see that movie? No, no. I just don't like any of these live action adaptations right. of animated stuff. Disney. kind of wanted to see Mulan. Haven't, but kind of wanted to. I mean, not, but I'm not going to try real to hard. see it. Yeah, I mean, I probably just watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia again. <laughs> and then, and when you watch that now, you go, "Is is that okay?" That's but that's most of it. Like, and then every once in a while, you're like, "Nope, that's not okay anymore." <laughs> there's, there's, there's a bit of that. Or there's that guy's from Mythic Quest. He looks like a completely different human now. <laughs> yes, he does. It's it's really. Really, really odd. Also, Cricket, like, looked five years old, and then in Mythic Quest, like, he looks like an adult. Huh. We, did you? Yeah. Okay. Wait, I got. I have a meeting soon. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap this up then. Yes. Oh, I'm still supposed to be going here. Yes. So go to ifanboy.com and find all of our shows in the vast history of comic book writing and podcasts and everything we did over there at ifanboy.com. You can like facebook.com slash ifanboy and follow at ifanboy on Twitter and at ifanboy on Instagram where you can find the pick of the week is before the show comes out and uh, possibly uh, best of the week in panels as Hey, it happened last week. It did. It did. You can follow us individually, C.S. Kilpatrick and J.A. Flanagan on both on Instagram. And then there's our YouTube page, which has made the phrase... Hey guys, my least favorite phrase on earth. Every YouTube, it's not ours. It's not ours who do it, but it's every other YouTuber. We don't do it. I don't think we might. We were having, uh, go we were to YouTube.com/slash/ifanboy. Yeah, we are uploading the old video show archives, and you can also listen to this show there. Maybe you're listening to this show over there right now, and you've just reached the the singularity. <laughs> the shows are are the the ifanboy mini. What were they thinking? Hellblazer number sixty three. I believe that is about John Constantine's fortieth birthday party. That's correct. Swamp Thing grows some dank weed, and they all get... <laughs> Satanic, it's super high. Absolutely munted. As I look back on that now, I think, yeah, you know, they had John's 40th birthday party. Garth Ennis was maybe 25. And a 25-year-old, I assure you, has no idea what a 40-year-old birthday or 40-year-old person feels like. No. I assure you. I woke up the other day, my, my my muscle was strained. And I was like, I didn't even do anything. 
I've heard there's a stand-up was like, I, I hurt my back while I was sleeping. That's exactly what happened. While I was sleeping. Yep. Uh, we did an episode on crime comics. I bet we could do that better today. Mm-hmm. We did an email and voicemail show. Those are always fun. Those are super fun because the shows are yeah. pretty rigidly formatted. That one's always our loose show. Mm-hmm. We just printed out some emails and vamped on. Remember at the end of the day how tiring it was because you'd be sitting up ramrod straight as much as possible? Yes. yes. <laughs> that couch was not forgiving. Wrap it up. I mean, comfortable, but not forgiving for TV. If you like the show, where are we? Write a review on Apple Podcasts. Just leave a star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps this show. Any podcast you listen to, it, it, it really does help. Uh, we do appreciate anyone who does that. Even better than that is word of mouth. Tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, if, if those are different than your family, your comic store person, anyone who you interact with. We do appreciate anyone who does uh, answer the question, what shows you listen to with that family. We do thank you for that. And that's this show. It's over. My name is Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>